The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts. Currently, UFCW is holding a union election at NETA New England Treatment Access in Brookline, as well as at Mayflower. If you are a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety and are not being heard at work, call the union at UFCW local 1445.org or call them at 1-800-439-1445. Grant Smith here with the Young Jerks. It is uh, July 20th, 2020, about 9.30 in the morning, and we are going live for a special pre-show this morning in the lead up to the 10 o'clock Eastern, 10 a.m. Cannabis Control Commission regulatory update hearing. Uh, we've done some pre-shows before, but we've never done one with as many amazing guests as I have with me today. As you can see, we have Ed D'Souza from River Run Gardens with us. Marion McNabb from the Cannabis Center for Excellence, and Devin Alexander from Rolling Relief. We only have about 25 minutes in the pre-show, so what I'm going to do is uh, quickly go around to each guest, allow them to introduce yourself and uh, themselves, and then we'll get right in to a policy discussion. Uh, so, um, Ed, please, uh, if you'd like to do a quick introduction for us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name's Ed D'Souza. I'm managing partner of River Run Gardens. Uh, we're located in Newburyport. Um, very excited to be here today. There's a couple of uh, proposed regulations that uh, initially had me excited, but uh, we'll talk about that when the time comes. Wonderful. Marion? Great. Good morning, everybody, and thanks, Grant, for uh, having us on. Uh, my name is Dr. Marion McNabb, and I was the former CEO of Cannabis Community Care and Research Network, which unfortunately closed due to COVID. Um, but now the president of Cannabis Center of Excellence, which is a nonprofit organization looking to uh, support uh, cannabis research, education, advocacy, and social justice. So thanks for having me. Wonderful. Devin? Everyone, I'm Devin Alexander. I am the CEO of Rolling Relief. We are a delivery-only cannabis company. We are currently going through the licensing process. I'm a social equity graduate as well. Uh, we recently obtained our pre-certification for delivery, and there's a bunch of new regulations coming out that I cannot wait to discuss. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you all so much for being here with us. I know this is one of those fun days for people in the cannabis industry as we get to see uh, the updated uh, draft regulations and whether you're an activist or you run a nonprofit or you run a business the updating of these regulations has an impact on almost every aspect uh, of the cannabis industry uh, in the commonwealth and it's actually what we're here to talk about today uh, so for folks who aren't aware the cannabis control commission starting today is beginning what's called a regulatory revision process what this regulatory revision process will entail is uh, a hearing today where draft regulations will be voted on and then a public comment period that will open today and close in mid-August that will allow the public to give feedback on the draft regulations. Uh, that feedback uh, will be both in the form of written testimony that can be sent to the CCC starting today via commission at cccmass.com 
or the week of August 3rd, there will be a virtual public comment hearing where individuals will be able to actually go on a virtual meeting with the CCC and give written, uh, spoken uh, oral comments on the draft regulations as well. Once that comment period closes, the CCC will then put out final regulations and a vote will be taken to uh, uh, entrench these regulations into law on September 24th. So it's about a two-month process and what we're going to talk about today is some different areas of the regulations that folks like, that folks think need to be improved, and uh, that folks uh, uh, think can be amended. So the first thing I want to talk about uh, is delivery regulations. Uh, Devin, uh, I know that you run a company called Rolling Relief. The delivery regulations as proposed are not quite where you want them to be. Could you tell us a little bit about what changes you're hoping to see during the public comment period? Yeah, definitely. So as currently set, the regulatory regulations for um, delivery, you have your location, you have your vehicles, you go to the dispensary, you pick everything up pre-packaged, and everything that you don't sell at the end of the day, you return back to that dispensary. That is not a profitable business model for delivery companies. The regulations changes I would like to see is the ability to wholesale from micro-businesses and warehouse our products overnight, package it ourselves. I want to be able to hit up Ed and be like, hey man, I need a couple of pounds of this, package it, and then give the people of the South Shore River Run Gardens flower. So that's the big thing first. And also two-year exclusivity window. When you're a delivery-only business, you get a two-year window, potentially three, to run delivery services for the big MSOs and big people can hop in. And that window needs to be extended to at least three years with an option for four. So those are the two main points I would like to see changed. Thank you, Devin. And before I uh, jump over to the other guests, can I, I'm going to ask you some clarifying questions. Um, firstly, so are you saying that the proposal that exists now for delivery, uh, the type of delivery license you're seeking, is basically an Uber Eats model where yeah. you own the cars, but you pick up orders from brick and mortar stores and then deliver them? Yeah, you're basically a courier for that dispensary, and it's not really an independent business, you know, so I do not want that to happen. And the change you're proposing, just so I understand this, is you would like folks to reach out to the commission and ask that delivery-only companies be allowed to purchase a warehouse and then put product purchase at wholesale into that warehouse for those companies to deliver themselves. Yes, that's correct. Very similar to how the third-party transporter license is set up. They have the ability to do everything you just said, but delivery does not. Awesome. And then on the issue of extending the priority period, so if I understand it correctly, currently the two-year exclusivity window for delivery licenses applies to both delivery endorsements for micro-businesses and standalone or delivery licenses like the one you're applying for. That period doesn't start until the first commence operation order is issued for one of those businesses. And 16 months in, it's going to be reevaluated. Am I understanding correctly, you also are asking that the default length of that period be increased from two to three years to allow the commission to properly evaluate whether these licenses are viable? That's correct. Yes, it's very hard to tell how profitable a business is going to be only after two years. So we definitely need to get that window extended. Wonderful. Um, Ed and Marion, uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, delivery uh, businesses being able to have a warehouse and purchase product at wholesale? Uh, absolutely. I, mean, I don't know if Marion wants to go first, but um, we want to work with delivery people and we want to be able to give them the ability to uh, provide product at a uh, reasonable rate 
Uh, my fear is with a lot of these delivery services, they're going to be charged at the rate that a consumer is charged, uh, which is not how we want to go ahead and pro uh, provide to the delivery services. So I think working with uh, micro businesses and other uh, product manufacturers and cultivators is an essential part of the business. Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, and I really think that <clears throat> as Devin mentioned, the, the way that the license structure is now is not very profitable. Um, and so allowing uh, the purchase and, um, you know, directly from, you know, micro growers or producers and then packaging um, and especially having the ability to um, store it overnight um, and not return it is I think a very, very important part. Um, that way, you know, I mean, you're not driving all around, you're reducing, you know, your carbon footprint in that way. And you can also, you know, um, have product from all over the state and delivered all over the state. Wonderful. Um, Mary, in transitioning a little bit, I know that obviously you keep very abreast of the uh, updates to the regulations and uh, with your uh, sort of my guess 30,000 foot elevation perspective. Um, uh, how are you feeling about the regulatory revision? Is there anything in there you really like, dislike? Uh, please tell us. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of things. I mean, I think one, uh, the delivery uh, issue is really important. I also think that, you know, the cannabis research license that we've advocated for for about three and a half years is totally dead in the water or geared towards um, really wealthy or, you know, uh, well-funded institutions. Um, so I'd like to see, you know, movement on that research category that we've been talking about uh, for a number of years. Um, also, I think, uh, where is social consumption? And, you know, where is that in the, in the mix right now? And I'm interested to see, you know, kind of how that moves forward. Um, and, you know, I mean, as a former uh, social equity training vendor, um, you know, I do support all of the, the bills that are in the state house right now for the loan fund um, and the others that were advocated last week at the, at the call to action um, with E.ON. Um, I know that's, you know, the specifically the, um, uh, the loan fund, social consumption, uh, expungement, and then the host community agreement acts. So I think one of the largest barriers, and we were speaking about this before it even started, uh, before this call started, is the barriers of host community agreements um, and local control is just a really a big challenge for many, many entrepreneurs. Yes, um, so true. And um, thank you for bringing up that that very important uh, rally that uh, equal, uh, Equitable Opportunities Now, uh, Chanel Lindsay, along with BECMA, the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts, and the Minority uh, Cannabis Business Association held uh, just a few days ago. Uh, Devin was actually a uh, speaker at that event. I thought uh, Devin, your words, along with every other speaker, were really powerful. And uh, just to take us through uh, some of the bills that uh, Marion mentioned there, First was Senate Bill 2650, which is the Social Equity Loan Fund. Uh, Devin, could you tell us as a social equity applicant yourself why that loan fund from the state is so uh, crucial to get passed and why it would help you as an applicant? Yeah, we can't get traditional bank loans like the normal entrepreneur can. And if you look at other equity programs in Illinois, in California, they're generating millions of dollars to give to their equity applicants. But Massachusetts was the first state to have a statewide social equity program, but we have nothing to show for it. There's only one minority cannabis business owner in the entire state, you know? So we need those loans to get us one, our location, 
help us pay our lawyer fees, help us pay our employees, help us get our vehicles outfitted. So when you have a delivery van, you have to get two non-removable safes, one for cash, one for products, two cameras, one in storage, and one in the back uh, where the drivers are. And then your drivers have to wear body cameras as well. So that's just for one van. And you obviously want to have more than one van just in case you get into an accident or some mechanical issues happen. So you want to have two vans right off the bat. So, social, so Senate Bill 2650 would establish no interest loans for social equity and economic empowerment applicants. And that would just go a huge way. And that would be overseen by the Housing and Urban Development uh, Authority, I believe, with no connection to the Cannabis Control Commission. And the reason, I, uh, Devin, I think I heard this as part of your answer, this is so crucial, is in the absence of this kind of state-backed zero-interest loan or grant, if there's loan forgiveness included, what ends up happening is that sometimes smaller equity companies get rolled up by predatory big cannabis companies who go around trying to say, oh, join our franchise or join our incubator when in reality what they're doing is basically setting it up to roll those small equity companies up into the larger company under the auspices of providing them uh, assistance. So this kind of state social equity loan fund without any of those strings attached and without some of these vulture capital intentions uh, in the mix makes it so that not only can companies like yours receive that kind of funding, not only can they receive it with 0% interest, and not only can they receive it from the state, but they receive it in such a way that doesn't come with any strings attached or even the potential of their relationship with the source of funding being exploited to undermine their ownership. Because it's not just opening the company, it's making sure that if equity is to mean something, the ownership and control of the company remains with the person who uh, got the social equity qualification or the economic empowerment qualification. So thank you for diving in there. Um, I also had another question about the HCA bill, and I guess we'll go to Ed first, but then please, Devin and Marion weigh in as well. That plays into the logic surrounding the HCA fix as well right now, because as folks may be aware, the way that it works uh, to get a cannabis license is there's kind of a two-track system. One must obtain uh, licensing at the uh, local level through what's called the host community agreement process. And then one must go through the state uh, level process to obtain a license at the Cannabis Control Commission. But when obtaining that local host community agreement, some towns, as media reports have indicated, have been charging more than the 3% in tax that they're allowed to by law, which has resulted in a situation where large companies have been able to do things like buy fire trucks or pay for uh, large donations to nonprofits, but smaller companies who cannot afford that three uh, more than the 3% uh, in yearly tax with their HCA have been frozen out of the market. Ed, can you tell, tell us a little bit, a little bit about why a bill going through the legislature right now to fix that HCA process and cap it at 3% would help small businesses? Oh, of course. I mean, um, for one, when you're a small business, you're wearing many hats and you have to really designate your funds to the appropriate causes. To hire a lawyer to negotiate your HCA where it could clearly state 3% over five years um, is something that not a lot of small businesses uh, can do. So let's take the uh, vagueness out of the language, uh, have it state what it was originally intended to do so that small businesses can uh, use their funds in a more appropriate direction. Marion or Devin, any comment on the HCA fix bill? 
Yeah, basically everything you touched on. Um, you see a lot of uh, these cities and towns saying they want tens of thousands of dollars donated to their nonprofits on top of your 3% of your annual gross sales. And you already have to have a positive impact plan, how you're going to positively impact the community. Um, so it's a lot, you know, cannabis businesses make a community better because all the stuff that they have to do once they set up shop there, it's just no other way around. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's really important to have that bill go through and, and specifically for HCAs. I mean, I've talked to a number of uh, colleagues who have struggled to get it um, because of the issues that we're talking about, because larger companies are coming in and offering better, uh, more financed uh, resources. But I also think, you know, really trying to um, make sure that the municipalities know about the equity, the social equity program, and are really, you know, uh, held to that, I think is important as well. So not only capping the fees, but um, a lot of the times, I mean, the state social equity program and the economic empowerment program is one thing, but, you know, when you get to the local municipalities, that's where a lot of people are really, really struggling, right? Um, you know, either competing with large money or, you know, dealing with racism or, um, you know, the inability to find a, uh, you know, a, a facility in the zoned area. Um, so also maybe having templates that help um, in negotiating those agreements, you know, um, with the towns, um, you know, having those readily available may also be helpful. Oh, thank you, Mary. And you really point to an issue which is so insightful, which is that, as you mentioned, the State Cannabis Control Commission has an equity mandate in their adult use uh, cannabis permitting process, which means that when the Cannabis Control Commission is giving out licenses, they need to uh, deliberately include equity programs, whether it be the Economic Empowerment Program, the Social Equity Program, or the benefits extended to what are called disadvantaged business enterprises. Local cities and towns not only don't have that same mandate, but when one local city in town, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, Cambridge, attempted to create an EE-only priority period for two years when issuing HCAs, they were sued by a medical dispensary named Revolutionary Clinics because that medical dispensary wasn't allowed to be included in the equity priority period. And you know what that reminds me of? Dating back to 2012, there has never once been a social equity or economic empowerment program for ownership of medical licenses. And you know what, it's great in some ways that uh, Revolutionary Clinic sued Cambridge because on April 24th of 2020, a single justice of the Massachusetts Appeals Court ruled that local cities and towns can have EE or SE only priority periods when issuing HCAs that do not have to include medical dispensaries. Now, going back to Marion's point, that's not part of the law that they must be able to have those periods. But at a baseline, knowing that equity only priority periods without including medical dispensaries when HCAs are issued are legal is a huge step forward. So I do hope lawmakers will take it one step further and mandate that those kind of programs exist, at least to the tune of a one to one rollout. So ideally, every city in town should be rolling out for every uh, general applicant, whether it be a medical dispensary or a regular applicant. For every one of those applicants, there should be one equity applicant, which is kind of similar to the system in Boston. So perhaps that's a good foundation. Um, I apologize for going off on that spiel there. Is there anything uh, you folks want to weigh in on related to the yes. importance of equity priority yes. periods? Please, Ed. Um, not about the priority period, but I mean, when I do have some time, there is something that was, I felt a couple of major things in these proposed regulations that the public needs to be made aware of, especially with comment period coming up. And I don't want to take your time, but if I do have two seconds, Grant, 
No, of course, Ed. Uh, as we capped this conversation, I was actually about to come to you and say, Ed, is there anything you wanted to tell us perhaps related to employees being able to sample their uh, products from their uh, employers? All right. So, um, yeah, 500-120 uh, starts a section about quality control sampling and vendor sampling. When I first read this the other day, I was jumping for joy thinking that the commission had listened to us on um, how we actually can prove that our product is worth the money that people are paying. Um, aside from that, I thought it was a brilliant idea to go ahead and uh, have employees get samples for quality control testing as a way to uh, get rid of the um, possible diversion of the product from your facility. However, reading into this, I'm a little concerned right now. Um, one, it says that you're supposed to be able to designate your sample um, as a quality control sample, but it doesn't make any mention about changing this designation and metric, which is something that everybody has to use. Uh, the other issue I have is that uh, reading more closely, an employee is only allowed to have four grams per strain and a max of seven strains for a period of one calendar month. So, I mean, now comparing this to some of the other industries where you're able to provide your employees a sample of what they're actually working on, um, we're still forcing our employees to go to a uh, retailer to purchase what they had made themselves. I think the comment period really has to go ahead and express the fact that, you know, these limits are, where do they come from? Uh, for example, concentrates. If you wanted to give a sample of a concentrate, you can give five grams of that concentrate. Now, four grams of flour versus five grams of concentrate, where do those numbers come from? In the area of one calendar month for the uh, samples being given out, I don't know where that came from, but I feel that uh, if you're involved in the cannabis business, the cannabis industry, even if you're just a consumer or a medical patient, if you're ever going to work for a cannabis company, you want to make sure these limits are reasonable and that the time duration in which you receive these samples are a little bit more friendlier than once per month. Thank you. Uh, Marion or Devin, do you have any uh, thoughts on uh, employee sampling and why it's so important to extend those limits and remove that one month time period? Yeah, just echoing what Ed said, when you um, work at a brewery, you know, they, you can sample your product like crazy, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of brewers will get four packs, like nothing. They don't have to go to the liquor store and buy their products from them. So. I think it's very important. They put a lot of work and time and effort into providing clean, safe medicine for the community so they should get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, I wonder, Ed, does that also um, have to do, so can you all, does this issue also if you're sampling other people's products for wholesale? Is this only specifically for um, your own employees? So the regulations right now stated quality control samples are for employees. Um, vendor samples are for retailers, product manufacturers, um, medical testing, so on and so forth. Um, but Marion, you make a great point. Um, these are great proposed regulations are a foot in the right direction, but they need to be ironed out and they need to make sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, if I was working for you, I definitely want to be able to taste your product and not have to buy it from somebody. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure you're gonna have some fire. <laughs> well, again, it, it comes down to diversion. I mean, everybody who's a registered agent has to sign an attestation that they will not divert product. This is this could be another means to ensure that product isn't going to be cuffed. I mean, I know my employees, they wear uniforms with no pockets, not because I don't trust them, but more as a reason for the CCC to say, hey, you're doing what you can to avoid diversion. But something like this done in the right way is going to be the ironclad way to avoid diversion. And that really is so important. Um, folks may have seen about six months ago, uh, one uh, business owner with six different licenses across multiple uh, multiple license categories was caught uh, diverting, and the CCC takes that uh, very seriously. And I think it's a testament to the knowledge of the regulations you all have that you are sensitive to that, and that you're willing to develop structures in each element of the regulation to assure uh, those who are concerned about diversion that you'll be doing your best, as you mentioned, to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, so it's about 9.57 and 30 seconds. Uh, we have about two and a half minutes until I expect the chairman to gavel us into session. I wanted to leave a little bit of time uh, to first let you all know that you've been watching The Young Jerks. My name is Grant Smith. Uh, we're doing our pre-show for today's CCC's 10 a.m. regulatory uh, revision hearing. I've been joined this morning by Ed D'Souza from River Run Gardens, Marion McNabb from the Cannabis Center of Excellence, and Devin Alexander from Rolling Relief. As always, you can find this episode and all of our episodes on both our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Young Jerks, and our uh, podcast platforms, uh, which you can find on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, or anywhere else where your podcasts are found. Um, so this has really been an awesome discussion. We covered so many important areas of the updated regulations and so many areas that folks should reach out to the CCC and let them know about going forward whether that be um, changing delivery to allow uh, those companies to have warehouses and purchase product at wholesale, uh, whether it be expanding the ability of employees to uh, receive quality control samples from their employers, whether it be uh, expanding the research licenses that are also coming out in the new uh, regulatory revision to ensure that they're available and accessible to not just moneyed groups, but instead anyone looking to engage with uh, public interest cannabis research. Uh, so before uh, we prepare to turn it over to the commission, I would like to leave you all the chance for some closing remarks. Uh, Devin, would you like to lead us off? Yeah, um, there's only one recommendation the CCC made for delivery that I'm really proud of, and that's gonna be allowing delivery companies to establish their own brand of clothing line and their own accessories, such as rolling trays, um, grinders, papers. So that's definitely something me and my company are definitely excited to do. So be on the lookout, rolling relief products. Uh, Mary? Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I think for this particular uh, regulatory round, I'm really interested to see what they do with the research license because it has been on the back burner for so many years um, and there are some applicants, but not a lot of guidance has been put out. So I'll be really just watching, uh, interested in, and we'll be submitting my comments around that and social justice and some other areas. Well, thank you. And Ed? Yeah, I want to take this time and say that um, I really feel one thing, that maybe I missed it in my reading of the regs, 
that needs to be brought up with, during the comment period is the idea that fines issued or levied on cannabis companies that have violated the regulations should go to the equity fund. This is one way that we can ensure we, we actually have an equity or an equitable market uh, available for people coming out of the shadows as opposed to just having a gold star saying, hey, I'm a social equity candidate. I'm a, you know, let's go ahead and take that money, put it to good use and make sure that people can come out of the shadows and feed their families legally. Yes, I agree with you, Ed. And I'd also say the commission really needs to um, put more resources and funding behind the social equity program moving forward um, and, you know, continue to bolster that. But uh, Ed, great point. 100%. There was over $800,000 worth of fines given out. So what's that, that money going to? Yeah, yeah, and imagine if you only had $25,000 to put towards your company. And just to be clear, uh, last uh, week at the CCC hearing, uh, Commissioner Shalene Title uh, made a motion in support of a bill that is in front of the legislature right now that would give the CCC a mechanism and the authority to use both fines and donations from positive impact plans to fund the internal social equity program, not the loan fund. So the loan fund is, uh, is 2650, that's separate. This bill that Commissioner Title asked her colleagues to support would give the CCC a mechanism to support its own internal social equity program. And this is actually a very important topic because as folks will know, uh, today at 3 p.m., the former director of community outreach and social equity programming, Shakia Scott, will be joining the Young Jerks live after the regulatory hearing, so please stay tuned for that. And uh, Shakia had been one of the people that had been begging the commission, including um, Commissioner Title was begging as well, for the commission to expand the budget of the social equity program. It had not expanded in three years. And when Commissioner Title last week brought up her desperation for the commission to write a letter in support of the bill to allow them to spend uh, positive impact plan, plan funds and fines on the internal social equity program. A few of her fellow commissioners uh, lectured her on the process. And it was so hurtful because Commissioner Title brought this issue up last year. She brought it up a few months ago and then she brought it up uh, at the beginning of last week. And those other commissioners didn't want to support her because they felt she hadn't given them enough time to consider it. And I just wanted to point to that as an example of even when you have someone like Commissioner Title and uh, Shakia Scott and others fighting internally and screaming at the top of their lungs to protect equity, they still sometimes face uh, barriers. And that's when this grassroots community comes into play and the voice that you all are able to bring to the table uh, is able to really effectuate the kind of change that uh, some of those people are fighting for. So thank you all so much for uh, not only being with us here today, but for taking the time to talk us through those policy areas that have meant so much to you. Um, the Cannabis Control Commission is about to gavel into session. Uh, so what we will do is for the time being, uh, everyone got to say their closing remarks. So uh, we'll say goodbye to our guests. If I could have you uh, log yourselves off, we will then transition to the Cannabis Control Commission hearing. And thank you again so much to Devin Alexander, Ed D'Souza, Marion McNabb, uh, you guys have been wonderful. We're so grateful to have had you with us uh, today. 
and uh, folks, you are watching uh, The Young Jerks. My name is Grant Smith. Uh, right now, we're just waiting to uh, transition over to the Cannabis Control Commission, which I am going to do now. I hope you all enjoy the hearing. I will, as always, come back to you during the breaks. Uh, uh, when, the uh, uh, only, that uh, happens, only agenda item that uh, uh, we'll cover will, is... Uh, you will see the recess up on the screen, and we will be providing coverage of this hearing right through to the end. And then please join us at 3 o'clock for the interview with Shakia Scott. All right, talk to you all at the break. Thank you very much for watching, and again, to our guests. Thank you, Grant. The Young Jerks are sponsored by UFCW 1445, a labor union representing cannabis employees in Massachusetts. Currently, UFCW is holding a union election at NETA New England Treatment Access in Brookline, as well as at Mayflower. If you are a cannabis employee worried about your health and safety and are not being heard at work, call the union at UFCW local 1445.org or call them at 1-800-439-1445.